Hey, Tom. Hello, Brandon. Hey, how's it going, man? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I Those had... figures were awesome, dude. That's my Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my life. It's been a funny day. It's been like raining, but I had to get a bunch of yard work done. And I also needed to get the figures together because we're playing Tuesday night. Oh, okay. So I have to get it ready for the next phase of the adventure. And yeah, okay. the weather, I'm not sure if you're familiar with aerosol paints, but when there's a high humidity in the air, it's not a good time to spray. But we kind of have an open area where I can spray, so I just found the right opportunity. Yeah, yeah, oh, I know it. I, <laughs> it's always humid here, so it's like, yeah. if, if you're painting in the summer especially, it's, it's <laughs> I don't know, it never dries. So we found a name for this podcast. Yeah, sounds good. Through a process of selection, we've come up with Attic Aficionados. <laughs> Very fitting. My wife is working on a graphic currently. It might be a week or two, though. I started drawing possibilities for her, and the first one looked like Klansman. So <laughs> just thought, that's not something I can do in a podcast form, unfortunately. So, yeah. Uh, the, the I was drawing some, too. Mm. Ah, well, that's the other possibility. The other possibility is that we use yours. Oh, no, let her go wild. I'm terrible at it. Well, at least <laughs> submit your drawings and she might be able to, like, I don't know, graphic design them up or something. Okay, okay. <laughs> totally well. So, following on from the last recording, so when we first talked, I put into, I think, Amazon, Masters of the Universe. And I realized that there's, like, some contemporary Masters of the Universe figures. And after our last recording, I looked up Merman. And he's had <laughs> at least four forms. <laughs> Oh, man, this is great. I love Merman. Oh, and he's got some hideous forms. So what's what's the story? Why why has he had so many forms? You know what? There's like the original Masters of the Universe when they came out. There's a um, behind the figures. Mm. There's like a little mini comic book. Mm -hmm. And the way it's drawn, it's like really detailed. Uh, it reminds me of like, um, well, I want to say Prince Valiant, those old mm -hmm. comic strips. Sure. But it's like it's way too detailed. It looks nothing like the cartoon. It looks nothing like the figures. And like, so they went back and there's like, um, forget what they refer to. There's basically two different merman heads and one they call the fish face where it looks mm. like he has fingers sticking up at his head. Yeah. And, and that's like the, uh, contemporary one, I guess that you've seen, but, but and sometimes they make them like real skinny and twisted and distorted yeah. and like yeah. hulking. And I don't know why they make so many different models i recently went to um zolicon which mm -hmm. is like a toy convention out here and i had there was like a merman aquaman twin pack and they must have made aquaman by accident and stuck him with merman because nobody wants aquaman <laughs> and mm. so i had to cave and and buy it but yeah i mean i love merman i i, I definitely like the the fish face look which is which is the way he looked in the comic book behind the figure so you got the figure he sort of looks like i don't know he sort of looks like a uh i don't even know like a cat maybe a little bit he sort I, of looks it, strange I think it was like a copyright violation for hello kitty i mean he looks yeah. a little bit like hello kitty right in yeah, one of his he, forms yeah he did like a startled hello kitty. exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like what's the story here did you collect uh were you into he-man at all so when i was a when i was probably i don't know five or six Yes, I did. But my parents were all, you know, just vastly kind of socialist theories on things. So I had an allowance, which I think was my allowance was didn't adjust for inflation. So I went to the toy store and I wanted to buy a Master's Universe figure. And I realized that I had to save for like three and a half months. So I saved for three and a half months of my allowance. And when we went back, it had gone up a dollar fifty. <laughs> so... Finally, I got the original Skeletor. And then through a series of factors, I think probably birthday gifts, because I got Battle Cat at some stage. And then I got Snake Mountain probably when I was eight. So for me, it was a long and slow process. I had the Man of Many Faces or whatever. Yeah, Many Faces. I had a few of them. I had the guy with the lobster claw. But my brothers, this, this puts it in time perspective. So it must have been like five years of like getting a figure every year in some kind of tortured like savings. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I had them for a long period and then my brothers inherited them. I think they probably got Battle Cat and then they got like the lobster claw guy with the shell that came off really easily. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. So, yeah, no, certainly Masters of the Universe action figures were a large part of my childhood as well. Where are your figures right now? Oh, my goodness. So, what happened was my mother is a diplomat. And when I was 17, she left the country. And then I... I left the country for a period of time and I had a bunch of stuff in storage with her. And then I spent 10 years out of Australia. So I got back to Australia in 2009 after being away from 99 through to 2009. And basically my mother's effects, including a lot of my stuff, have been lost. So I've lost like large chunks of my life. Yeah. So the... The toy soldiers I gave away to, like, my girlfriend's brother at the time. So okay. Like, I actually had, like, a, a passing on relationship with that stuff. But, like, huge chunks of my life are just missing. And I was looking at the Master Universe figures. The, the new ones retail for about 100 bucks on Amazon. And They're if you crazy. look on eBay for the original ones, and the interesting thing is how the, how the plastic has faded. But if you look on the original ones on eBay in box... You could spend upwards of like three and a half thousand dollars. Oh, yeah. When they're boxed, they're yeah. um, they're outrageous. They're it's, uh, and these kind of things. So, yeah, no, I unfortunately I can only live vicariously. But I was actually thinking of potentially buying one of the newer ones just to have it as a thing, you know, because yeah. we have these conversations and obviously Europe. And I, of course, I had the Battle Armor Skeletor as well. I have very fond memories of. I'm wondering if I had. I'm pretty sure I had a Skeletor, like an original Skeletor, and then I had the Battle Armor Skeletor. But probably for, I don't know, four or five years of my life, this was like a thing for me, slowly but surely, to work up the allowance to go to the toy store to buy, you know, a Masters of the Universe figure. So yes, it was a large part of my childhood, but I don't have them anymore. I'm always interested to see. It was this dilemma I have, I'm trying to figured out the Thursday night I sat down and made out a, a, the, the timeline, the lifeline rather of mm. action figures. Yeah. So like, it's like you buy them, you display them mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you open them and then you display them again. And then at some point you either sell them or you keep them. Mm. And then as time goes on, you either die and somebody else gets them or somebody's mother throws them in the trash <laughs> or donates them to the goodwill. It's like, yes. you know, no matter what, how much you love them, I'm like, where do they end up? And all my friends, it's like my mom put them in a box down at the curb. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm like, no, just give them to somebody yeah. or destroy them, you know. But, yeah. um, yeah, I'm it always It's a funny thing, actually, because I guess – when I got married, I'd been married 15 years. I was married, the anniversary was actually last Thursday for 15 years oh, of marriage. Congrats, Thank congrats. You. Thank you. <laughs> I know you're a relative newlywed in, in these terms, but part of the thing when we got married was I used to collect old computers. I had a lot of like collecting hoarding related problems, let's just put it that way. So my wife has always been very careful just, I mean, like, I had to get rid of the computers, basically, and I had to do a variety of things. So my painted figures, what I've always wanted to do is get a display case and put them on display. That's the way they're supposed to be. But my life has always nixed that. I mean, even even with we're in my podcasting room, as I talk to you now, I have them very neatly in boxes, but the painted ones are all in the attic, hence the name of this podcast. And I get them down... Probably, I've got a YouTube channel where I've got them down and I open them up and put them out. And I watch the YouTube channel periodically. But I don't actually display. And I've got figures that were painted by people that can't paint anymore. And like amazingly detailed figures that really should be displayed. So my feeling is, this is some, This is when I die. <laughs> yeah. This is when I die. Some Porsche, might, probably my wife, is just going to put them all out on the curb, as you say. So <laughs> it is a funny thing, this whole notion of like obsessive collecting. My hope is that I'll find like some person, some young person to pass these things on to. In the model rail fraternity, they have a series of responsibilities associated with when these old guys die. And that these layouts are huge. I mean, in some cases, 4,000 square feet, you know, plus of just like insane volumes of train. And what they typically do is that they have clubs that will come in and 
make charitable donations of the various parts and give the widow a bit of a chunk of change as well. But the model rail community's done it in a very civilised sense. I think probably the action figure community, the toy soldier community will never do that. But like, there are certain probably ways to, to do this thing. But yes, it is it is a point of concern. Yeah. Oh man, 4,000 square feet. I could pack so much crap in there. <laughs> this guy locally, he has... Um, are you familiar with RFIDs? They're like little chips that are used to uh, identify various things. They put these... They have tens of thousands of little boxcars and stuff, like literally tens of thousands of them. And they have to put these computer chips inside so they can identify them because they have so many. No. Oh, like boxcars, like Hot Wheels cars? No, no, no. Boxcars... Um, you're familiar with the old uh, hobos that they on the on the rail? <laughs> on oh the yeah! Railroad. Oh yeah! They used to sleep in boxcars. Oh yeah! So literally, these guys with these because if you have if you have four thousand square feet of layout, I mean a boxcar's six inches or less. So they literally have tens of thousands of these boxcars as well. So when you meet people with layouts, big layouts, you ask them how many boxcars they have, and if they're above, like if they're above a thousand. You just realize that these these people are really, really obsessed with them. <laughs> so we're not as bad as we might seem. We could look onto the model railroaders and think to ourselves, they're slightly. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've seen some horrendous things at these conventions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Saw a guy in a. He was in a. I don't even think it was intentional. He was in a, um like a like a white and black tiger outfit. But he didn't have a head, and I think it just was a matching jumpsuit and slightly matching pants. And he was just sprawled on the floor, sipping a soda with one hand, digging through a bin with his other. Just digging. <laughs> I said, oh, my God, this, i got to get out of here. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you ever go to – I went to a book convention. A friend of mine was staying with us, and he wanted to meet up a friend who'd gotten a job at Google. And this guy was here for three weeks, so we were looking for any opportunity to get out of the house. So we went to this book thing in Palo Alto, and there were literally guys with large, like, I don't know what they're called, Connor vans in Australia, big vans, plumbers and, you know, utility folk would use. Lit the tires almost flat, packed, floor to ceiling with books. And it's like the most crazy hoarding thing with the books, because they're really heavy as well. Yeah. And there was this guy who had gotten his about three quarters full, and he was just running back with bags and bags of books. Bags of <laughs> and we talked to him for a minute, and he said, this is for my grandkids, this is for my grandkids. And we're like, this isn't for your grandkids. Oh, God. Grandkids. They're so heavy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yes. we Again, we could look up Scorn and the book collectors, because they truly are, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Problem themes. Yeah. <laughs> so... Based on your request, last night, in a marathon session, I watched the Rocky trilogy. Oh, you shouldn't have. <laughs> well, I thought this is, a, this is a, a series of films, and I'm trying to remember if I've ever seen a Rocky. I thought I might have seen Rocky 4, or maybe Rocky, it's a Rocky 5. Anyway, I might have seen something like in my far-flung past. Yeah. But based on your recommendation, I watched 1, 2, and 3. Tell me what Rocky, what the Rocky trilogy means to you well you know what? it's funny i i said trilogy and then i said oh wait there's like four or five six seven <laughs> eight and i was like oh, what am i even saying but i was like well and First four three. is really cool i like four a lot and um but for some reason i just oh i i don't know i just always think that there's only three of them mm. and i'm always asking people you know what's your favorite and so many people say oh rocky one's the best i think they just say that because you know it's the first one and they want to say that, but no one ever says three. And I am like, I have a buddy who, who loves three as well. And I'm like, Rocky three is so awesome. All their muscles, all the, like, like Apollo, Rocky and Clubber Lang, they're just like dipped in oil. They're so shiny. Yeah. And, the, and the punching sounds are so awesome. It's like, they're just cracking like a bag of leaves with a baseball bat. They're just, so, it's so cool. It's, and there's so much going on, but by far, Rocky Three is my favorite. That's like Empire Strikes Back of the Star Wars, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. What'd I you think? I, I, I was probably exhausted by the time I got to three. <laughs> my, my eyes were barely open by the time I got to three. So my impression was, I mean, it's interesting, actually. It depends on what you look for, right? 
I mean, if you're yeah. looking for like Masters of the Universe, then it's obviously Rocky Three. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're looking for, I mean, I I was really impressed that I'd never seen these films for a start because I guess when I was I don't know maybe ten, my grandfather fought in the Second World War. My father's father. And he sat me down and he forced me to watch the first two Rambo movies. And I think that probably cured me for Stallone films. Yeah. And I just, like, removed that, like, whole thing from my mind until I watched it last night. I don't know. I mean, I think if you're looking for... If you're looking for something which is kind of quizzical, you very rarely see films about people... I guess you've got Forrest Gump. I mean, Forrest Gump is the extreme... But you rarely see films about people who aren't... It's associated with exploitation, I think, more than anything. And the thing I found fascinating with the first two, at least, was there was absolutely no explicit discussion associated with racism. Like, it was a very strange, you know, sequence of films because they didn't mention explicit racism until the third one. And it was so rich in the films. I, look, honestly, I'm going to be one of these schmucks that just says I like the first one. It could have been the fact that I was asleep by the third one. But the first one for me was actually a really interesting film. And I think... The first Rambo? Sorry, the first, first Rocky. Rocky. Sorry. Okay. Wait, yeah. I, the Rocky, the Rambo stuff is, is repressed. Rambo, yeah, the first Rambo was interesting as well. But Rocky, the first yeah. Rocky for me, I just like... I mean, I like the same genre in the UK. I like the same kind of falling down cities... This kind of inner city living where everything's just so dark and falling apart and just, you know, worn down. And it's interesting, the whole the whole nature of, like, beating the meat. Like, beating the meat clearly wasn't something in the 70s, right? That whole notion of actually, like, fighting in an icebox piece of meat. I thought, <laughs> That's so awesome. There are so, many, there are so many things that have obviously come out of this film associated with, like, strange, you know, perspectives and these kind of things. But no, I thought the the first one was certainly very memorable. The second one I thought was interesting, like in terms of like the socioeconomic component. The third one, I think I'm, my sense is that they're just going to get more and more. Like the third one is probably exemplary of the remainder of the franchise. But my impression was that, that he was going to kill the guy in the second one. I seem to recall there was a death, maybe in the fourth one, which I might have watched. Like yeah, one Paolo. of the opponents gets killed. Yeah, the Russian kills... Um... Apollo. Apollo. Okay. Yeah. Because I was that must have been the one that I saw, and I must have seen it in my mid-teens, probably when I was about 17, um, because I certainly remember that, and I thought it might have been one of the earlier ones. So when he was fighting Apollo in the second one, I thought, well, this is this is where he kills him, right? But it, I obviously seen the fourth one and just injected that in the fourth one. But I just like the grit, actually. I like the grit of the first one, and, you know, obviously the grit kind of wears down. But yeah, I don't know. It was an interesting trilogy to watch because I thought, why would, well, what is important about these films? Why do I need to watch these films? Dude, they're so awesome, Stallone. I, uh, uh, I love, how'd you like when he chases the chicken and Mickey's yes. yelling my at him? It's hysterical. Part. That's my favorite part. <laughs> we kept rewinding that. I mean, I think, yeah, that whole thing, because I, I live in an Italian neighborhood. I don't know, do you, do you affiliate with Italian American? Do you think of yourself as an Italian American? Well, I am, but I don't, you know, I like, I love the food, but I don't go and do anything really, you know. We live in an old Italian neighborhood. We bought the house from a Italian American couple. The fellows across the street are actually the brothers of the wife, uh, and they invited us over. There's an old sausage factory about a mile from our place, but most of it is now Latino and there's a Vietnamese community kind of moving in as well. But yeah, I like, I like Italian American films in general. And I put down before I'd watched the Rockies, um, the Godfathers, but really Goodfellas is my favorite film. And I was thinking about this with regards to Cattlebag, because when you do the opening line of Goodfellas and Cattlebag. Oh, yeah. I don't like think that, anybody gets that, but <laughs> no, that, that for me was just like, this is something worthy of my evening watching at that point. <laughs> This all makes sense. It's all coming together. <laughs> it's interesting, actually, because that that intro is just so seminal. And I've, I've had a series of, like, very minor synchronicities associated with Henry Hill. And I just think he's such a fascinating character. In terms of The Godfathers, 
you have a favorite Godfather? Yeah, two by far. Yeah, yeah, like two. I mean, I, I three. I don't is <laughs> Joey Zaza. It's so yeah. bad, or whatever his name is. I'm like, oh no. But one and two. I, I mean, one is really good, but I, I like two. I like how they jump back and forth a lot. But Goodfellas, of course, that's like that's the best. Yes, I take that over that or Casino or anything. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. How about it, you? Casino is interesting because living in Vegas. I lived, I probably should give some background to this thing. When I met my wife, her sisters lived in Vegas. So we moved to the UK. We got married in the UK. But basically, her sisters have always been in Vegas. I'd never set foot in Vegas before actually moving there. And have you ever been to Vegas? Yeah, one time. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. I'm not big into gambling. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm like, if I, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's a, it's a, I was there for six years. I mean... When we first spoke, I was in Vegas. <laughs> I, uh, it's a strange. I had some point. bad food and was like in and out. I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. It can be like that. Were you there with your family or were you there after, you know? No, what? I was there with friends. Okay. Okay. Because it's an interesting place. I mean, once you get off the strip, you could be anywhere in America. It's not a, you know, the strip is the strip. But yeah. when you live there, the thing about casino, which I love, is if you look at Vegas as being a city that's constructed by the mafia, you understand it so much better, which I guess is is Godfather 2 as well. I mean, if you understand the role the mafia has played in Vegas, and in particular that the locals, the yokels, have just come in and made all the stuff that they had illegal, legal, uh, but you still have things like, you know, the K-rails and the street, whatever, the cones and these kind of things, it's all inside of being paid, you know, basically the money's going to the mob anyway, but they've just created the city around this thing. And when I was oh. there, it went through amazing, like, social deprivation. Like, I went through two crashes in Vegas, and the apartment complex that I lived in, basically, they became public housing, and then all the public housing people left, because there was a mass exodus of people in 2007. Oh, man. Very strange yeah, I ne- environment. I never got to leave the strip. I mean, I was there for like two days, yeah. and I was like, "Let's go check out something besides the casinos." But nobody, everybody wanted to go to the casinos. <laughs> I was like, oh, "All right, cool. I'll just hang yeah. out." Hey, listen, Italian food. Did uh, have you ever eaten pizzelles? What is what's that specifically? It's like um, a flat. I'll say a cookie, but there's almost like there's like no moisture in it, and okay. it's really thin. Uh-huh. And um, it's got like a pattern, like maybe like a snowflake, different patterns. Oh yeah, and yeah no, I've had that. I've had that. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, dude, I love those. That's that is the best of time <laughs> food and rum cake. Just mm. to go back on, just because you got me thinking about food. Yes. No, I, I mean, certainly the Italian, my Italian American neighbors and I, we both plant vegetable gardens that are very similar. I mean, I've got a lot of things that I do that when I've worked with Italian Americans in the past. Like, they've always been planting tomatoes, and I've always been planting tomatoes, and they're always, like, cooking, you know, various forms of stock, and I'm always cooking various forms of stock. So, yeah, the food culture, and in particular the maintaining gardens thing, is just something that I really... And also, my grandfather, when he was in the military, spent a good period of time in Italy, and he kind of, I mean, like most Jews do, he kind of blend in with Italians in some regard. Too. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, he kind of, you know, there's similar similar cultures in many ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the food and these kind of things I've got a lot of time for, but mainly just the fresh stuff. I mean, you know, it's uh, Italian American food. It's interesting because when you're on the East Coast, when I used to go, I used to spend a bit of time in Maryland, a bit of time in New York. Um, and I really, and in Chicago as well, you can go to these, it's not Italian food. It's Italian American food specifically. Yeah. But there's just some amazing stuff through that. Yeah. I'll probably be making meatballs tomorrow. Was it Sunday? <laughs> so you maintain yeah. you maintain certain customs in the culinary. Yeah, well, uh, less and less so, but uh, I do like to have Italian food on Sunday. You know, I like to make a pot of meatballs, and um, and then you know I'll have my parents over, or I'll go over there, and you know, sort of have the feast on Sunday certainly. most weeks. Multi meat you know? gravy. Uh, sometimes depends depends who's eating, hmm. but um, yeah. Um, oh, always pork for sure, you know, and then, um, beef and veal. I mean, mm. but yeah, less cheese, I guess, than anything, like not as much lasagna. So I would eat it, but mm. it seems like whoever else I'm eating with isn't always into it. 
Do you do it with the bechamel or do you do it with the uh, cheese? With the cheese. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We always did bechamel. I convinced my, I converted my wife over to bechamel when we were in England because that's the way they do it over there as well. But yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah. speaking of food, <laughs> yeah, you had down that. in your list of topics your favorite utensil. Oh yeah, I forgot already. <laughs> Which, sorry, <laughs> I, I have a list here that I'm slowly working through. So, in terms of food, what is your favorite utensil? I don't know. I was hoping you'd tell me. Well, my favorite utensil, which swings it in a slightly different direction, but is noodle-related, chopsticks. I knew you were going to say that. I knew it. Oh, the Tom's going to pick chopsticks. I'm fork all the way. Mm. It's got to be a fork. I'm I'm knife. I'm knife secondarily. Like basically, knives are really, really, really useful, and I do like red meat. But for me, most of the food that I'll when I want to go out to eat usually involves chopsticks and on a friday i work from home and we've got like local noodle places which are pretty good like the vietnamese community in our area so yeah i'm chopsticks unfortunately would you make any alterations to the chopsticks to make them better like hollow them out so you have Uh, a straw as well well my view is actually well you just slurp anyway like you've kind of got the (laughs) (laughs) chopsticks straws and a secondary you've got enough motion you should. I, mean, I I spent a large portion of my I don't know misspent youth <laughs> like actually in Southeast Asia, and it's amazing how in I mean in certain areas you can't get chopsticks right they eat with spoons and forks anyway. Oh but, really? Uh, yeah. No, for me for me chopsticks are pretty well. I mean, it's funny actually because my wife comes from Southern California. Uh, the whole food introduction thing is very very interesting. Like when you meet someone and you're dating, like she ate a lot of Mexican food, still does. And Mexican food was never, I guess, when I first stepped off the plane, I can't remember, maybe. It was one of my first experiences where I'd gotten off the plane, probably in 98, and I went to a Mexican place, and I ordered stuff, and the lettuce was wet, and it was just no flavour. And that was just like a bad Mexican. And I've had a series of bad, but now we live in an area, uh, uh, what's it called, Pozzoli, the soup. With the, the pork soup with the beans. I don't know it. If it's cooked... So, the people that used to live in our the back of our house, the second house in the back, were both first generation, maybe? One was first generation, one was second generation. So, okay. they spoke English and, you know, they were, they were Americans, effectively. But the wife made a mean pozzoli. So, pozzoli, I'm thinking in a, Italian food, there are various... It's basically pork bones that they boil for a long period of time. And then it's a tomato broth. Now, if you have it out in restaurants, it's mainly a tomato broth. But if you have it cooked authentically, it's a pork broth with like a tomato coloring. And that's absolutely delicious. But the beans are a bit funky. But I'm, I'm a fan of this <laughs> Korean stuff with, with pork, which is creamy, pork bones boiled. So I'm a fan of soups, basically. But it was interesting when we first started, my wife had never had Indian food. She'd never had sushi. She'd really not explored, like, a lot of Italian food. It was very strange when we first started dating. We were constantly eating out in these various places. And slowly but surely, it's a trust thing more than anything. And we still, sometimes I'll order something and my wife will look at me. And then she'll taste some of it and she'll be like, oh, yeah, that's actually quite good. <laughs> <laughs> I've only right. eaten cat once in my life. And I remind our cats of that quite frequently. Uh- <laughs> What about uh, Art Soup Master? What's mulligatawny? Oh, mulligatawny. Um, what's in that? What's in mulligatawny? Is it all? Is it like I just think it minestrone, but it, it can't be the same thing. No, it's a well, it's a, it isn't it a curry? It's curry and there's coconut milk in there. I'm sure as well, probably. Really? I'm think. Well, it's some something gets it milky, right? I don't, I, you know, it stuck after Seinfeld. They said it on there with the soup Nazi. I, it always stuck in my head. Have you ever I'm, had it? I don't think so. And my view is actually, I've had a couple of different kinds of mulligatani. And my view is it tends to have like a fine meat in it as well. But I wanted to think that that was pork. And this rice that you get with it too. I've had, look, my view is that you could in, I think the UK, I'm pretty sure here as well. I've had mulligatani out of a can. Probably bought at Whole Foods. My view is I don't think I've ever ordered mulligatani in a restaurant, but I've certainly had it as a canned soup. 
And I think I've probably had it in, I want to think at some sandwich place sometime I've had Mulligatani. Yeah, I feel like that's where you'd see it, like a soup and sandwich place. But it's a, I mean, I think it's a particular kind of Indian soup, I thought. I had no idea. Yeah. I, I, the name sticks in my head all the time. 70% but of what I say in this podcast is completely wrong, and I should point out, no doubt people who are Wikipediaing this, just like, coconut milk, what the fuck? You know, please be, this is completely spur of the moment stuff. Some of the stuff I edit out, most of it I just, like, for example, last week when you were talking about Cool G Rap, I thought you were talking about Schoolie D. Because Schoolie D's the Philadelphia rapper that kind of originated gangster rap. It's just that oh. he's got a letter in his name. So I went back and listened to Cool G Rap, and I'm like, this is a completely different cat. In fact, I'm surprised yeah. I've never actually heard any Cool I mean, I've heard some Cool G Rap, but I'm just not familiar with his body of work. I think somebody told me he dropped the Cool, and it's just mm. G Rap. I don't know if that's mm. true, but he's got, like, I love his voice. He's got, mm. his rhymes are so good. Um, mm. But you sent me that, um, that the picture of that flyer. And Akumo D was on there, but oh, I don't yeah. think we mentioned him. And I was like, oh, my God, I go to work. I was like, oh, yeah. I think I still have that cassette tape in the attic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kumo D had the coolest glasses, dude. It's funny, actually, <laughs> the whole East Coast, West Coast thing. Because, I mean, coming from Australia, we were certainly like the far West Coast. And a lot of my listening, it was only until, I don't know how long I've been going now, maybe 24 years. There's a college radio program called We Funk, which comes out of Montreal the mcgill college radio and uh those guys i knew for a long period of time and i dropped bunches of money on them year after year and i got they had like freestyle battle rappers that were amazing freestyle battle rappers you know krs1 obviously yeah new york he's a very good battle rapper he went to montreal and one of the guys there whose name was lo pesci that's his that's his rap (laughs) name he he beat him in a battle rap it was extraordinary so I followed them for a period of time and they completely changed my musical perspective because they basically played exclusively East Coast stuff. And I realized that actually, although I thought I had a lot of records and a lot of interesting stuff, like the East Coast music, had a lot, and obviously Gorgie Rap is part of that. But yeah, no, I thought you were talking about Schoolie D and I edited all that out so our listeners will not have to endure me completely butchering a series of facts associated with someone else. <laughs> We were then going to talk about great sandwiches and sandwich combinations. Dude, I can't wait for dinner tomorrow. Ah. <laughs> the problem is like, what, 9.30 at night, 10 o'clock coming up to and we're talking about uh, favorite sandwiches. So uh, what are some of your favorites? Uh, there's only one sandwich in the whole world for me, and that's peanut butter and jelly. That's it. Interesting. That's Interesting. It. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess you can get wild with like... um. Man, a good a good Italian hoagie, you know, mm-hmm. with really sharp provolone is good. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, <laughs> peanut butter and jelly, man, it's, it's like interesting. Oh I yeah, you go in a comp- I, I went in a series of completely different directions with this one. So mm-hmm. when I was in Leicester, which is just a bit north of of London, have you ever been to England? Never. So they have a different kind of bacon, which is far better than Canadian bacon. But it's just like a different kind of bacon. It's got a lot more meat on it and less fat. And it actually looks like it came from an animal, uh, <laughs> which is a very curious thing associated with bacon. Because, yeah, who would have thunk? So they get this, they get this hoagie, but it's, they call it a bap. And it's associated actually with the texture of the crust. It's like almost, it's a, it's not a dinner roll, but the crust is actually quite thick and you need a thick crust. They cut it down. They put a fried egg, baked beans, and English bacon. And then have you ever had English brown sauce? It's a bit like, um, well, HP sauce. It's a bit like kind of A1, but slightly bitterer. It's it's a strange kind of barbecue. Anyway, they put that on it as well. This for me was like a sandwich. It's this kind of sandwich where you eat it and you're good for the day. <laughs> you have it at like 7 a.m. And you're not even thinking about food at 7 p.m. Like basically this, this has given you your calorie intake for the day. In a beautiful kind of sandwich form. What is it called? What's the sandwich called? It's called a breakfast bap. I don't even know. The one place. B-A-P. Yeah. Yeah. Breakfast bap. And that was like the divine sandwich. And the funny thing is, I'm not even sure if that place is still open. I'm not even sure if this is still a thing in Leicester. But it's funny because that was a literally, what do they call them? Like the the van things. Like a lunch truck. truck? It's a food truck. Yeah. A food truck that would park outside where I worked in Leicester in the UK. But when I worked in Vegas, 
for most, well, for the latter part of the time I was in Vegas, there was a subway in the car park at the place that I worked. I'm never eating subway again. <laughs> I was just basically <laughs> the quality of the conversations in the subway were beyond extreme. Like, it was just crazy to every lunchtime go and eat this. I've heard that they have rubberized stuff. <laughs> like you get in like the, the plastic rubber bath mats or something like that. That somehow mysteriously they found in the bread when they did testing. Anyway, so you're, you're waiting in line for these people that have no comprehension of anything to produce these sandwiches. One time... I was in line and there was a woman in front of me and she had a five-year-old kid. And the kid, the woman was in her own world, as tends to happen in these circumstances. And the guy was automatically making a sandwich for this kid, not listening to anything that the kid was saying. And just like <laughs> adding jalapenos and all this kind of stuff. So at the end, literally at the end, when the sandwich had been made, when this whole process had gone on, and I was just looking in disbelief at this thing, the mother turns around to the kid and says, you're not going to take that, are you? You're not going to let that guy just make you a sandwich? And I looked and I thought, yes, this is the right point to start instilling that the people that are making the sandwich are actually part of this problem. Couldn't have anything to do with your parenting. Couldn't have anything <laughs> to do with this entire process where this kid has just walked along, kind of made various grunting sounds, but had this sandwich, including jalapenos and like three forms of mayonnaise, <laughs> drenching this thing at the end. Second to that experience was <laughs> being in line with a guy who was trying to tell me that 9-11 was an inside job. And my perspective is that after that happened, this was also the guy in the parking lot who had, like, UFOs, a reel, and this kind of stuff on his car. And I just thought, this is the quality of experience that you get through a subway. In, are the subways in your part of the world? Are you, are you dude, with this I don't even consider going in there. My buddy worked at one, and his my buddy's brother worked at one. And one time we went up, they were closing, and he's like, hold on. <laughs> he goes, I'm almost done. I just got to get the purple tiger. And I'm like, what is the purple tiger, dude? And he goes, oh, that's the spray we use to wipe everything down. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and another story is this is I know, a friend of mine him and his friend were at subway the guy asked if he wanted salt or pepper on the roll he says no the guy puts it on anyway and he goes hey i said no i don't want that on and the guy takes the roll and goes oh and just blows it <laughs> off and he looks at his buddy and he goes dude you just blew off the salt and pepper i don't want that roll get me in <laughs> Oh, I can't stop even thinking about it. Yeah, that was a daily basis. That was my daily basis going to... So after a while, I realized I could actually go and eat elsewhere. But yeah, it was a strange period of time in my life. And uh, yeah, we used to live next to a Subway as well. And my wife would occasionally ask me to go and get her a Subway sandwich. And I always felt really strange walking back into that environment. Like, I don't know. I guess uh, once once you eat a sandwich and feel physically ill, and you do this time and time and time again... That's going to have serious psychological effects on you when you actually enter the institution. And the strange cookies and all that kind of thing. Ah, oh, yeah. Anyway, moving on from this. I, Wait, I, I, I got to tell you, my buddy okay. went to a food food show. He's a chef okay. and he and he comes back and, and he goes, hey, do you know what the, the, the meat at like an Arby's looks like before they slice it? Mm -hmm. And I go, no. And I imagine some way similar. I guess, oh, it's a gelatin log. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. let's move on. Yes. <laughs> the cost of Legos today. Outrageous. Have you seen the Porsche? Have you seen the Porsche Lego car? No. I, I, sent a, I sent a YouTube clip so you could see this thing. This is a $300 box of Legos that is, is licensed by Porsche to make a Porsche car. Legos have moved in a very strange and curious direction. They're just so, it's, it's uh, <laughs> they're so, dude, they were expensive when I was a kid. They were like mm. off limits. It was just mm. like, you weren't getting them. You better find them in the sandbox somewhere. Did you have, you, you had hand-me-down down legos that some other kid had chewed half off? That was my, my experience. Like, yeah. marks on everyone's. All my legos were squares and yeah. rectangles. There was no, occasionally a gear would pop up from some mixed match set, but I always you wanted to. Uh, there was a few gears in there. I don't know what they went oh, to. Oh, my goodness. I used to go over to my friend's house 
to play with his Legos because he actually had like the motorized Legos and things like that. Strange trains and things like this. No, my Legos had been pre-chewed by some other kid. <laughs> by the time my brothers got to them, they were like, I guess a biohazard. And yeah, they got actually like new Legos for a period of time at least. I guess they've always been expensive, right? Dude, I saved up. Yes. Hell yeah, they've always been expensive. I saved up forever to get I never had a figure. I always wanted a little Lego man. I was like, they're so cool. Their hands are so cool, you know? And so I saved up and saved up and I wanted, the, there was a night set at Kmart. That's exactly like, what I'm going to talk to you about. Exactly. Dude. It's, Continue. It's, yeah. So I would look at this and then I would go on to the next area and look at GI Joe's and stuff. I was like, ah, dude, I want one of those nights. Now, did it have the full... flip visor? Did it have the flip visor or the full visor? It, it had, it didn't flip, but it okay, had they like had that. had an earlier model, which was the space helmet with the flip visor. I had a friend that had those. Yeah, no, dude, those, they're like rounded. They're so cool. Yeah. And, but the medieval knight was like the round helmet had a little, like, um, little right. feather thing. Yeah. yeah. And it had right. like the, yeah. the cage on the front. Like exactly. The, the, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I saved up. I got it and was like, I think there was two guys with like the, um, not, they're like a Darth Vader helmet without the, without the face. I was like, sure. these helmets suck. <laughs> but the, I think there was a one knight in there with a cool helmet. I still have it. I still have the box. I like mm. cut the box apart and packed it away, but that was it. That's my only Lego I ever bought. And they're, dude, they're so expensive. I'm like, <laughs> you're crazy, man. When, I mean, I have two friends. I have one friend that owns a Porsche and I don't know if he, yeah, I think he bought the Porsche themed Legos. And he hasn't opened the box. And I have another friend who bought it for his kid as a thing that they would do, you know, make the car. And they made the car. And it was an interesting project. But when when a toy is $300 plus, and now, of course, the first series is like a collector's item, you wonder, you wonder about these things. I mean, I guess the market for used Legos is probably there. But yeah, I look, they're still making money. They're still in business. Kids today can still look fondly as you did and I did with the hope that one day these things would come in stockings and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're they're. You know, what's weird to me is I'm, I don't think any kids buy them in the first place, mm. you know, and, um, but like you'll go in, you'll see these Star Wars Lego guys and they mm. look hideously deformed. I'm like, these mm. things are so bad looking, but I'm like, what even pieces together like a lego it's like so many of the things i'm like are these even legos it's just like i think it they have various body parts and things but i mean the actual because now there's like a again thankfully a hobby that i've never delved into but you can get um not anatomically correct legos but like military legos they've got a big bang lego set where they're the characters of the big bang theory you can again make personalized legos apparently and get faces or you in lego form I have various co-workers, various people will buy these themed Legos that you can see on their desk periodically. But it's a market, I think, that's aimed at fathers. I think that's the Lego market. Because certainly my friends that had Legos also had fathers that were, like, obsessed, associated with various things. And I think the correlation is the father justifies the purchase of the Legos. The kids get to play with them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're cool. They're just too much money. I had... Somebody gave me, uh, I don't know if they gave my older brothers, but it was like the knockoff Lego was called Bricks Blocks. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm slightly sorry. rubbery, slightly rubbery plastic. I remember <laughs> them well. I was like, yeah, these will do. I can make a wall and have the Joes fight behind it. <laughs> oh, man. Your blocks are an interesting thing. I had a set of blocks that were my grandfather's blocks that were made out of, I don't know what it was, cedar or mahogany or something. And I could build houses and basic structures with them very, very rapidly. And they had a special box where the box was long since broken, but the wood still kind of fit together. And that was the extent of, like, blocks until my father married an American. And she had Lincoln Logs, but I was too old for them by then. My brothers inherited the Lincoln Logs and started building all these elaborate structures out of Lincoln Logs. Interesting. Yeah, I got some hand-me-down Lincoln Logs. They were cool. I liked them, but... Yeah, they were like tinker toys. They're good oh, for an hour or two. <laughs> certainly, certainly. So, holiday decoration. Oh, yeah. You put a lot up? I, our house is really old, and I try to utilize friends when they stay with us to assist with the decorating. <laughs> I'm six foot three and a half, six foot four, 
And I basically, if I stand on a cigarette paper, I'm having vertigo. So <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of getting up on the roof and doing this kind of stuff. With our house in Vegas, I put in cup hooks, which are the hooks that have the bit of metal that press up against them, which I guess are designed for hanging cups on boats and things like that. And I use the cup hooks to rehang the um, lights every year. We actually, I mean, this is the thing from my wife. When we lived in the UK, we were the first people to put up Christmas lights in the town. And when we left, about a third of the town had Christmas lights up. Yeah, so so it awesome. is an interesting phenomenon to actually see it happen. But I've got, you know, Australia, it's the middle of summer for Christmas. So Australia, you know, we didn't really do it. But here I'm in charge of putting the lights up. we got a set of lights. I hang them up, put the timer up, get everything queued. But we don't do massive things. We're not in that kind of neighborhood. We're in the kind of neighborhood where if you had a blow up, you know, if you had a blow up illuminated thing, it would be stolen or spray painted on or someone would shank it or something like that. So... Yeah, I, I I do the lights, but not I don't go crazy. But I definitely do lights. And then um, we used to do. I love tinsel on the tree. Mm. Oh yeah, but no, that's different. I, I I mean, I guess internally, my wife has an elaborate procedure. I mean, in Australia, we did tinsel, we did this kind of stuff. But my wife has hand me down heirloom things from her grandmother and stuff that go up on the tree, and it's usually like a three day procedure associated with actually getting it set up so i stand back and i let her do it i do all the heavy lifting move the tree in you know when lights need to be wrapped around the tree this kind of stuff yeah appreciative of the heirlooms and things that go on it but it really is my wife's thing you know associated with getting in there and getting the details up yeah (laughs) yeah it's awesome i uh last year i just left the lights on the front of the house Oh, one of those neighbors. Very good. Oh, yeah. I was, oh, I'm just leaving them up. Oh, I'm not going out. Yeah. So. <laughs> My wife was away at the start of this year. I had the lights up through most of January. And then she got back one weekend. It was like, you're getting those lights done now. I was like, okay, I'll get them. Yeah, I never did that before. But I was like, oh, it's one strip on the gutter. <laughs> but yeah, I always put them up. Uh, Halloween, I, I put a few things up on Halloween. Oh, I yeah. really don't. I don't put anything up really before. Yeah, um, my wife is typically, for most holidays, will have stuff up. And she's very, you know, I mean, she's from Southern California. She's from these, you know, large suburbs with where this kind of stuff is important. Yeah. One of the benefits of having a basement, actually, is that you can fill it with seasonal-related decorations. That you <laughs> go up, go back down. And, yeah, I don't know. I mean, even, even like, Fourth of July and this kind of stuff, we put stuff up. Yeah. So... I kind of behave like an American. Really. Yeah, I'm yeah. Sorry. Why not? American husband. That's that's my role. <laughs> oh man. Oh, what's the next topic? Well, I did want to. The holiday decorations thing is interesting for me. I have a participant on Model Rail Radio who's a kid. I mean, he's twenty now. He buys large inflatable reindeer. I showed there was a video on the link associated with this. I'm not sure if you had an opportunity to see this. But this kid is just, he builds like railroad dong things, you know, the bells for the railroads. And yeah. he, has, he has these large inflatable reindeer as well. They're Disney reindeer, though. They're not like true reindeer. They're, yes, they're part of Bambi or something. They look Bambi-esque. Anyway, they're like 20 feet tall that he blows up every year. It's great. You know, he takes them to old folks' homes and things like that and blows them up. <laughs> So weird. Yes. Oh my god! But hey, he's with also- model model railroading. What? What? Did, does anyone have trees on their setups that are like realistic size compared to the train? Oh yeah. oh yeah. So there's a big movement in the hobby actually to have realistic trees. Most of the proponents that we have on are in Australia, and in Australia, there's um literally five, six feet tall trees. Okay. That are actually, I mean, redwoods here are, you know, some of them are 300 feet. So it's astonishing the size of the trees. Even in Australia, they're 150 odd feet. So yeah, the, the prototypical. So model railroading is like a combination of different things, but the people that are like super want to be prototypically accurate when they start putting the trees on their layouts, they can be, you know, easily three, four feet tall to be prototypically accurate. Okay. All right. Good. You were worried yeah, that they were all just the tiny little trees. Well, I, I was, <laughs> I, I always put trains up, you know, mm-hmm. every every year, and um, so I, I 
the one year I was like, I, it was all, I did a whole snow setup. I was like, everything's white. Everything's going to be covered in snow. And I went out and I was like, I'm so tired of having trees that are like so short. It doesn't make any sense. So I cut a bunch of branches that would make good bare trees and painted them with white and everything. And I stuck them on and was like, look, here's a forest that the train can go through, you know? And I was like, why? I would never see it, but I don't look at that stuff much, you know? And I was Mm. like, so no, that's cool that they do do that. I got to look that up. The funny thing about, I can provide you a series of links. Actually, the funny thing about that is that the trees are so overwhelming compared to the trains. (laughs) that Many of them, like the trains are tiny compared to the size of these trees. Many of them create what I think they call, they're not vignette boxes. They create like boxes which are about four or five feet tall, that are just trees in probably, I don't know, a foot wide, five feet tall, maybe three feet, sorry, three feet wide, a foot deep, five feet tall, glass frontage. And they just put trees in there, like accurate prototypical size trees. Okay. And that is a thing within the hobby as well. But yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, the, the buildings... Most of the buildings aren't prototypical. You have people that build prototypical buildings that look really out of place if you, you know, are used to the standard train size buildings, which are never prototypical. Uh, it's interesting when you go to layouts where they build industries, like uh, there's a fellow locally who has a car plant built prototypical size. It's 30 Holy feet crap. long. <laughs> yeah. With all kinds of stuff going on. So, That's so cool. Yeah, no, a model already captures all aspects. Every, you know, there's so many. Uh, the other one's the steel plants. I mean, you, I'm not sure. I think most of the steel plants are in, in the Pittsburgh area. I'm not sure if they're any close to where you are. But a steel plant is pretty big as well. And the people that build the prototypical steel plants, again, 20, 30 feet. Yeah, that's, oh, that's cool. Well, Brandon, I think we've come to a natural conclusion in tonight's recording. So... We'll work through a series of topics for the week and hopefully, hopefully we'll have a podcasting feed for people actually to subscribe to. Maybe not a graphic up front. I've got a few. I could put up some figures or a close up photo of my cat out of focus or something like that initially for the image as a place for when my wife gets the image in. But yeah, all those things will be happening in the next week. Look forward to talking to you next Saturday. Mm, I'm going to have some mulligatawny while I wait. Very good. Always important. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to you soon. Take care. Yeah, take care. See ya.